Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily, and this week we're going to be starting another season. We're starting the Red Shoe season, and we're talking about the first song on the album, and it is the single, Rubber Band Girl. talk about the song this week is someone who's been on the show before and he was last on the show in the central world season we have on the show this week james d benedetto indeed thank you so much for coming on the show today and all that yay thank you for having me i appreciate it of course so when we last connected which was i guess i would god it's it's already been a couple years good lord Uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that you had said that you you really enjoyed the central world and the red shoes and everything. So yes. I think before you had kind of talked a little bit about your story with Kate Bush and everything. I I think so. It's been a couple of years. Um, I discovered her with the song Running Up That Hill on WLIR radio in Long, out of Long Island, New York, which was like the new wave. I don't know that you would call Kate Bush new wave, but they played all kinds of British imports. A lot of them really, they were the first station in the U S to play a lot of stuff. And so that's where I discovered her and then kind of went from there. But I think the first album of hers I owned was the sensual world. Yeah. You mentioning WLIR. I know that's where Depeche mode got their first, some of their first airplay in the United States. Because I, I remember reading about that with, with Depeche Mode. Like, yay, here and, he is, over and, here. And U2. There's a documentary about the station. And they mm-hmm. have footage of U2 at a club in Long Island. When they're, they look like they're 12 years old. <laughs> I mean, and it's just, it's, it's so trippy to watch. Because that was, I was... You know, let's say I was born in 1969, so I was 12 or 13 when I started listening to that station, and that was kind of their heyday. And but then I discovered, you know, after I discovered Kate, then I kind of went back later. So I, I discovered her later stuff first, and her earlier stuff later. Mm-hmm. So you know, you so you were around for when the Red Shoes was released. I was in grad school, and I know that I bought it on. CD, those, you know, funny plastic round things that which I still buy because I still like having physical things. So I actually have, I have the CD somewhere and of course it's on my iTunes now. Mine too. But yeah, I was in grad school and I loved the whole album. I mean, I think it was just amazing. And I didn't see the movie, The Red Shoes. I mean, I knew the fairy tale, but I never, I didn't see the movie until probably 15 years later because my wife is a huge classical classic movies fan and we watched her classic movies and that's where I was introduced to it. And the movie is just unbelievable. I mean, that is one of the greatest films ever. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, I did a, just reading up a little bit, and Kate was clearly very influenced by the movie. And I saw, I'm sure you can talk to this, like in way detail, that she intended or wanted to work with the director before he passed away. But he passed away before she could work with him. Speaking of the, because now the Red Shoes, the film, I've seen that as well. That Because that one was nominated for a Best Picture in 1948, 49. And I got to watch it. I wanted to watch it because I knew that, that um, Kate was definitely inspired by the movie. Obviously, she named her album after it. It says here, uh, this is from Kate Bush Encyclopedia, this film, so The Red Shoes, inspired Kate's song The Red Shoes and her film The Line and the Cross and the Curve. A side-by-side viewing of the latter with the original film reveals many ways in which Kate's creative directions decisions were shaped by careful study, a careful study of this film. And, and the, co- the album cover image is straight out of the movie. Mm-hmm. I yep. mean, those are the shoes in the movie. So she actually didn't get to meet with uh, Michael Powell um, in New York City shortly before his death due to cancer on February 19th, 1990. The song Moments of Pleasure is in part a remembrance of that encounter. I did not know that. I did not know that either. (laughs) I just learned it. (laughs) So what's your story with Rubber Band Girl? So, like, why is that one of your favorite? Because I know why it's one of my favorites. Now, this is, like, not as deep as some of her other songs. It's just... Oh, no, it's not. (laughs) It sounds great. It's it's a... I don't know her catalog in 1% of the depth that, that, that you know it in. I would... From what I know of her music, this is her most poppy pop song at least to my ears I'll, I'll, I'll say it that way and it's just it just catches you just the it's so kind of blank on the words it's just it's i mean catchy i guess is the best word and it's just it just draws you in i mean the lyrics are not much to them but and that's rare among her songs too Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm curious what the story is behind that, because normally, you know, she's telling a full story in her songs, and normally there's a ton of, you can go down a rabbit hole of the references and the influences you can find in her songs. I don't know where you would start with this, with this one. Well, actually, she, so she's talked a little bit about it in that, um, uh, let's see. So this is this was a quote from her. Um, this was uh, her talking about it in Mojo magazine. She said, I thought the original rubber band was oh, actually I'm going to go back to that one there because um, that one's kind of referencing the director's cut version. Um, this was now this one is from I found this on the Internet Archive and it was someone who archived. Uh, they called it the Red Shoes magazine, and I still haven't figured out where exactly it came from, but I think it was some sort of insert for the fan club. I'm not sure. It just said Red, Red Shoes magazine, where she actually goes, by, goes through song by song. Uh, quote, Rubber Band Girl was a lot of fun to put together. The song was written quickly with a one-chord sequence and was written as a release from feeling completely inadequate. I was at a point in the studio where I felt I might snap. So to try and make myself feel better, I became a rubber band girl. Sometimes creative frustration is useful. This is one of the tracks that I feel has a strong band feel. 
And I was very pleased with the rhythm section. With Stuart on drums, John on bass, and Danny on guitar, I felt it had the right balance between very powerful and silly. It was also interesting working with a human brass section. It's always fun working with good musicians, particularly if they're having a good time with the track. I always learn a lot from other people, and I think there is generally more human impact on this album. So, yeah, and I could tell it is a one-chord song, which is very rare among her songs. Like... Houdini, you can get into all like the the weird some of the weird chord progressions and stuff like on that song, on anything from the dreaming or I mean even the last album, there were some interesting chord progressions in there. But Rubber Band Girl, it I have the sheet music for it. It's an A flat major and it's just an A flat major chord. That's all it is. It kind of sounds like it because it is also very repetitive, but she also has an interesting enough melody that goes up and down and everything that you don't really, really notice it too much. Right. And it really does the, the way it goes back and forth. It, it really does give you the idea of the, the moving my hand. This is going to be an audio podcast and I'm, (laughs) I'm Italian. What what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, it gives you the sense of rubber band. It, that, I mean, I hadn't really thought of, and that's, like, I guess, an obvious point, but it's only obvious after you think of it. And even the the arrangement is very bouncy. Like you, it starts with the drums, you know, and the the guitar's like doo da doo da doo da doo da doo da doo da doo da, and of course her thing at the end with the here I go, which I love. I love definitely. <laughs> It's just, it's a fun song. And like, it's just, like, in her words, silly. And I don't know too many of other songs you can say that about. I mean, I, it's hard to think of any off, uh, there must be, but I can't think off the top of my head of any. I mean, I could think of fun songs, but I think this was her trying something different with trying to do something like, okay, I'm just going to put down one chord and just write one, write a song around one chord and just make it like release, helping me, helping me release energy. Right. It's interesting that this is the song she chose to release as the first single Mm -hmm. off that album, too, because it is such a departure in a way from what you would expect from her, from her previous work. Well, and you can definitely tell it was her trying to go in a different direction. It, it is very, it's a lot more poppy. It's less complex, especially uh, musically. Like it's just one chord throughout the whole song. And even though there are things kind of going in and out and everything, like her different vocals and like the part, part. I was like backing away from the microphone so I don't like blow y'all's ears out. <laughs> and the brass section, which I think find I did not realize until I started doing notes for this. Oh, that is a real brass section. Which is good because you can usually tell when something is like fake. <laughs> when it's a fake brass section, 
You can tell. When was when was the first time you heard the song? What did you think of the song the first time you heard it? Well, I mean, like it just like hey, it, it was so catchy. And I'm one of these people, you know, when I get a new album, something like I, I listen to it over and over and over. You know, luckily I didn't have any roommates because we're driving them crazy. It doesn't matter what you're listening to if you play it ten times in a row. No one really wants to hear that except for the person who's playing it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I listened to the whole album over and over, and yeah, it was—it's just—it's so full of energy and fun, and and then you get into the deeper stuff later on in the album, and the more complex stuff. So it's just really surprising to me. It just—it was just a big surprise to hear that from her. So I first heard all of all of the Red Shoes when I got it for Christmas one year from my mom. Because my mom went into the music store. She said, hey, my daughter, at the time I was a teenager, so this was early 2000s. And my mother said, hey, my daughter really likes a female vocalist from the 80s. What can you recommend? And the person behind the counter said, Kate Bush. (laughs) Which, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, you know, that lady had real good taste, man. But at the time, I like I knew who she was, but I didn't I wasn't into her stuff at all. And it took time for me to really like her music. And this was the only album they had in the store was Red Shoes. So this was technically the first album I ever got from Kate Bush. I remember liking the song like it's it's honestly like if I have to rank all my stuff, all my favorites from this album, this one's number three on it like my top one is you know spoiler alert the red shoes the title track because that's just like she gotta dance like like, i love that one but this one it's just fun it's just a fun cute little song there are times it's it's you're right it's not very deep i mean the concept i would say the concept is deep but she doesn't go she doesn't have ton of a ton of lyrics to it to kind of emphasize the point which is almost a little disappointing for me because I think the idea like of a rubber band girl is really cool. And I wish there was more to kind of expand on that in the song. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, it's the idea of resilience, like being able to just like if bad shit is happening to you to being able to just immediately just bounce back to life to just kind of find yourself again. And I think that that's a really cool concept and I kind of wish she had expanded on it a little more, but she was, if she was going for something kind of poppy and everything, okay, I can see why she didn't. Right. And I think the little I looked at it, was that her last hit single or that made the charts or maybe I'm remembering wrong what I read. Um, no, the last one that hit, the charts before her big, uh, before going away for 12 years was, and so is love. Okay. Yeah. A lot of the songs didn't really kind of stay in the charts for that long. I know this one, this one stayed on the charts for five weeks in the UK, in UK charts. It got into the top 20 at least. 
uh, and it stayed for five weeks. But then all the but then the subsequent singles stayed in for maybe two. Like one was three, and then the rest were just two weeks. I, I can see that though. I mean, you know, like it, it is the most poppy of those songs. You can see where it would like for the radio, especially, and for more casual listeners. And I can tell too with this song that it seemed like they were trying to push her a little bit in the U.S. because this was also released as a single in the U.S. and it even had it even had two videos. It had a video for the U.K. market and one for the U.S. market. Yeah, and honestly, I had not even seen the U.S. one until about 10 minutes before we started recording. Because I realized, oh, wait, there's a second one. I need to kind of watch it. Because the one I'm used to is one where she's just dancing, and it's taken right from the line of the cross on the curve. And this is Future Cecily popping in here. So the other music video that was recorded, uh, the one for the United States, and the one that I hadn't seen (laughs) until like right before I started recording was a version that was shot of Kate wearing sunglasses and lip syncing the track. And then with scenes from the line on the cross and the curve intercut and occasionally even dialogue taken right from the movie mixed in with the footage. It's really interesting. Like you can tell that they were trying to, I guess, market her to make her more, you know, quote unquote American, I guess. Uh, but, you know, just my purposes, I have to say, I prefer the one where it's just the line across the curve. Anyway, back to the show. I didn't know there was a video even. That's like I was an, a video music MTV guy, kid in the early to mid '80s, but then when I went to, once I went to college, and we didn't have cable in the dorm, and that was that as far as like music videos. And then of course now you watch them, and it's like it's so trippy to watch most of these videos. It's just a different world. It's just being able to pull it up. It just whenever you want to is just, yeah. (laughs) And see, I never watched MTV. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV. And then by the time I was old enough that I could have watched it, they really weren't showing music videos anymore. Right. Like I grew up during like the, the high point Mm -hmm. when you would like come home because there was a world premiere video at four o'clock and you would want to run home and make sure you saw it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just really wild at that time. Yeah, last time I heard of any kind of like video premiere really was honestly it would have been one of Lady Gaga's singles. Or like, oh, everybody has to sit at you on YouTube and watch it. Right. It's not the same as like it's it's such a different world. It's it's crazy to think, you know, like when I first listened to this album, and even then the world was starting to change. I mean, you still had you had CDs, but you didn't it was not long before you started having streaming music or at least like buying songs on iTunes maybe not iTunes yet but not far off of that because I had my first mp3 player in the late 90s I yeah I got my first mp3 player as a uh, graduation gift from high school graduating high school and my parents said hey why don't we get you one of these like iPod thingies I said sure I'll get one of these (laughs) I had the Creative Labs Nomad, which was about the size of a portable CD player, mm. and it was like 600 songs. And this was pre-iPod. And that was like the greatest thing in the world at the time. 600 songs, like, why would you ever need more than that? Yeah, and I had a similar thought when I first, like, the first iPod I ever got, it had 15 gigabytes. And I went, oh, no, there's never no way I'll be able to fill 15 gigabytes. Let's see, how many do I have on my phone here? 
it's crazy. I mean, the video is pretty good. Like it, I they. It's obvious that the the American one, like they were trying to appeal, make her appeal to an American audience. I mean, it must have worked because it did reach number eighty-eight on the charts in the U.S. So, but did pretty well in the U.K. Reached number twelve. Um, did well uh, kind of other places too. Germany, number 65, though. Ireland, 17. Uh, yeah, UK, 12. New Zealand, number 32. Netherlands, number 37. Australia, number 39. And hey, this is Future Cecily popping in here. Um, something else it, it was interesting that we didn't quite talk, didn't talk about during our uh, recording, but I'm going to mention it here. So this was released as a single, as we were talking about, and it's it was released in several different formats. So on its UK release, um, Rubber Band Girl was released as a 7-inch single, a 12-inch picture, picture disc, a cassette single, and a CD single. So, wow, lots of different formats. But in the United States, it was just a CD single. And then in Canada, there was a cassette single. So if you were Canadian, you would have had a cassette single if you wanted to get Rubber Band Girl. Also, in each of the territories, there were different B-sides. So all formats of the single for Rubber Band Girl featured the title track and the B-side of Big Stripey Lie. On the 12-inch single and some CD singles, there was an extended mix of Rubber Band Girl and in the United States, get this, the B-side was different. The B-side was show a little devotion instead of Big Stripey Lie. This I found to be really interesting because the when I first heard show a little devotion, it was as a B-side, but not as a B-side to Rubber Band Girl. It was as the B-side to Moments of Pleasure, which we'll, we'll get to talk about a little bit when we get to the uh, Moments of Pleasure episode there. But I just thought this was really, that was really interesting, to just, just the different formats for this just one song and how the B-side differed depending on where you bought it. And now to bring us into the next section, here's a little taste of that 1993 extended mix of Rubber Band Girl. Take it away. everyone so this is future cecily popping in here because i wanted to add just a little thing before we go through the next section so there's something about this song that we haven't talked about yet and that is the director's cut version of this song most of you guys listening are no doubtedly familiar with director's cuts um 
But for those of you who may not be as familiar, just a little quick background. So Director's Cut, where we talk about that, talking about that, we're talking about an album that Kate Bush released on May 16th, 2011, that consists of reworked versions of songs from The Central World and The Red Shoes. So it's basically an album of remakes, you know, at the time. And we'll, we'll get into this with, I'm going to eventually do an episode that's just on Director's Cut because I find the history of it to be really interesting and it also will be neat to talk with other people who um, kind of what they what they think of the album but it's basically just an album of remakes like she took these songs that uh, Kate Bush had already released she had already written them quite a number of years before and she reworked them and sang them in a different key sang them in different arrangements that kind of thing so when we're talking about the director's cut versions uh, especially of the uh, songs from the red shoes that she remade later for director's cut in 2011 that's what we're going to be talking about i've already talked about um, director's cut versions a little bit before in the Central World season. For example, in the episode for Deeper Understanding, I mentioned the director's cut version. So the version released in 2011 versus the album version from 1989 and so forth. Four of the songs on director's cut were originally released on the Central World and seven more were released originally on the Red Shoes. Now, earlier in the episode, I had mentioned that there was a quote that Kate had said about Rubber Band Girl. And then I stopped myself and said, no, 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 wait a minute. This is late. I need to do references later because this is a, this is making reference to the director's cut version. Well, here it is. This is something that she said for Mojo UK Magazine in 2011. And so this would have been, this is a quote from the time of the release of the director's cut album. She says, quote, I thought the original rubber band was, well, it's a fun track. I was quite happy with the original, but I just wanted to do something really different. It is my least favorite track. I had considered taking it off, to be honest, because it didn't quite feel as interesting as the other tracks. But I thought at the same time, it was just a bit of fun and it felt like a good thing to go out with. It's just a silly pop song, really. I love Danny Thompson's bass on that. And of course, Danny McIntosh's guitar. So what does this new version sound like? Well, here we go. Here's a clip of the director's cut version of Rubber Band Girl, recorded in the early 2010s and released in 2011. Here we go. Have you heard the director's or do you like the director's cut version or have you heard it? I've heard it and I'd have to listen again to tell you what I think more. I think 
you know, I want to say I didn't like it as much, but I'd have mm-hmm. to listen again because my there's only so much room up here in my brain now. <laughs> yeah, same here for me. Oh my god. <laughs> and I'm trying to hold two languages at once too. Ah. Actually three. French, English, and the language of Sassy, which only makes sense in my head. Now, I remember not liking it either. Honestly, I prefer the album version because I like just how more, how much more bouncy it is. It just has more of a bounce to it. I don't like the director's cut version at all. I mean, it's an interesting, the whole concert is an interesting idea. And, you know, more power to her for doing it. The version of this that's on director's cut, it kind of sounds like, what I would imagine if she were to ever tour, like if and how artists will sometimes just switch up their songs from night to night to make things a little bit different. And right. I feel like that's something that you would have heard her do live. <laughs> but right. that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, because like a lot of my favorite artists, they change stuff up live whenever you go see them. Right. Well, I mean, you have to. I mean, in a, I mean. If you're a creative person, you're you're just playing the same, the same song in the same way, you know, every night for six months. I mean, that's got to be hard, you know. Mm-hmm. You want to change it up. I mean, yeah, kind of lyrically, like you, you just kind of thinking of the lyrics, and it's definitely not as deep as some of her other songs. It kind of reminds me of Burning Bridge in a way, where like she seems like she purposely wrote something that's like oh yeah it's just kind of poppy whatever not really putting too much thought into lyrics and it's very repetitive kind of like are you familiar with burning bridge i'm not oh, okay it's one of her b-sides from from the hounds of love era that even like the few times she's i think the one time that she ever talked about it she said it was just meant to be like a throwaway song but, you know, I wonder, too, if the fact that it's so, you know, if the, like, the bounciness of the music is more important to her than the lyrics. And so maybe that's what she was going for. Mm-hmm. There's almost, the lyrics almost are, well, are secondary, maybe, to the rest of it, which is very mm-hmm. rare for her, but. No, I could see that. I mean, it could have been one of those kind of songs where where Kate just did it up real quickly, like the music, doing the music first, and then putting the putting the lyrics over it later, like a like top lining, which I know she's done before with, um, like you come up with the rhythm track and then you start putting in the words. Like that's how she came up with "Sat in Your Lap." I mean, that's it. I. It's hard for me to imagine doing it that way, but just that's because I can't read and certainly write music. So, like, to me, that like that's like voodoo magic, <laughs> like writing. It's like just like an alien thing to me. Just, just a, it's a skill or an art that I do not in any way possess. So, like, I can't even imagine how you would start with the music first and then the lyrics. But, um- Actually, it's something that a lot of pop songwriters do. Uh, it's more commonplace these days, I hear, especially if you're a producer or if you're part of a production team and you're just you're just kind of just noodling around in the studio and then you just record it and then you start like humming or, or sometimes putting just saying random phrases that catchy phrases that would go over it like, 
one of my favorites that I got into through quarantine was Girls Aloud. Um, they were a pop group in the UK. I mean, any UK listeners, you're probably like, oh my God, like that one. Because I know they were everywhere like 15, 20 years ago. But that's what their production team would do. Like the Zeno, uh, Zeno, Xenomania. Uh, I, I want to say Xenomania, but I could be completely wrong. But their production team would come up with the music first. And then as they're listening to the track and they're just like spouting out random, like catchy phrases, like things that don't even make sense. When you're going, when 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 you look at the lyrics all together, you're kind of like, okay, what is biology about? What? <laughs> but it sounds catchy. But you come up, yeah. It's but a lot of production teams do that. It's more commonplace now. It feels like that's kind of what she was doing here, but doing it more like explicitly. Like, no, I'm coming up with the music first, and then putting in the words. And it doesn't matter what the words are. It's just just sounds, basically. I I never that's something I just never knew that's interesting and it's certainly now taking that knowledge and looking at other songs and other bands that I like and I'm a big fan of Shriekback and mm. I, I can imagine some of their songs you say random phrases that don't make sense and it's uh, right there absolutely because it's more about the catchy melody Right. Then whether or not it makes sense. Or even, I mean, goodness, like even other production teams, like especially ones out of Sweden, like you look at the direction, you're like, okay, I don't know what this is about, but it's catchy. <laughs> and then the other people, you know, like you on your podcast, or we're thinking, well, what do those lyrics mean? What is the deep meaning to this? Well, they were just throwing stuff against the wall. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a lot of what, what she was trying to do here. I mean, she even said that. She was in the studio. She was, she was quote feeling I might like I might snap, and I know she was going through a lot at this point. Like she, she was dealing with the death of her longtime guitarist. She was dealing with her mother passing away. So she probably just had a lot going on, and so she just needed to do something to make her feel better. And it doesn't. It works on me. I know. I'm like I listen to it and like yay! It feels all happy. Yeah, and there's there's several other songs too, kind of from this era, like on this album that she mentions wanting to have more of a band feel because she wanted to make things simple, a little bit more simple, and there was also the thought that she might get to, might tour, and that oh no, if I tour, I can't really do the big complex arrangements. Yes, you actually can, but that's just me. So let's see. So, where's any any other thoughts about uh, Rubber Band Girl? I, don't, I think you covered it. I think. <laughs> I, I mean, mean I, I wish I had more to say. I know when we did the the Central World, I think I had more to say certainly about those songs. I just like this song. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. have any thoughts about it. Oh, and I do too. Like, it, like I said, this is in my top five of. of favorites from the album because it's just 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 bouncy it's just happy and sometimes you just need you need happy otherwise you, you you're just you're gonna feel like Aah. exactly we we all need that especially the way things are now yeah oh my god Certainly yeah. Need happy yeah so we're, 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 we're recording this in march of 2022 so uh, if anybody's been following the news uh, i need happy <laughs> happy especially right now 
Well, anything else we want to... I think we pretty much covered it for, for this song. I think so. I think so, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great to talk to you about this song. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kay Bush. Well, we have bounced all over the room, bounced back to life, twanged like a rubber band. And uh, next week we're going to be taking it a little bit slower, going a little bit more chill. We're going to be talking about another song that was also a single, and that song is And So Is Love. So until the next episode drops, what can you guys do to help find the show and share it around? Well, there's a couple different things you can do. First of all, you can email me at any time if you want to be a part of the show or add your thoughts. KateBushPodcast at gmail.com. You can also call the hotline 1-757-349-6369. If you want to leave a brief message about your favorite Kate Bush song, whether it's one I've already done or one that's to come. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast. And also, um, if by the time you listen to this, by the time you read this, hopefully Twitter will not have completely imploded in a very sudden and fiery death, at which point I will be at Strange Kate Cast. So that's where you can find the show on Twitter. In the meantime, thank you all so much for listening. Your support is always great, and it's always great to connect with all of you guys, all of us Kate fans, all over the world, wherever we are. So make sure you tune in next time. We're going to be talking about And So Is Love. We'll see everybody then. 